Welcome to the Dumb and Dumber podcast, where we learn things that most people just don't know. Here we go. We got, we got uh, your, your host here, that's me, Lurk Daily, and we got our co-host joining us today, Owen Peters. We got two experts on the subjects World War One and World War Two. We got Ethan Hoffman here, he's an expert and historian on World War Two. got Kobe Peters here, no relation. And he's an expert on the subject of World War One. We're gonna be answering. They're gonna be answering us some questions, or and we're gonna be asking some stuff. And you might stick around. You might just learn something. Ain't that right, Owen? Yeah. As as we look at how how the start of World War One, we can't help but think the role of nationalism and how it began to divide the Ottoman Empire. Yeah, nationalism is a sense of devotion to one's national group. Um. In early 20th century, nationalism began to divide the Ottoman Empire, and as a result, a series of countries gained independence from the Ottoman Empire, while others were annexed by Russia and Austria. Right now, now as we talk about the dividing of nation nations, we see countries coming together, causing some tensions to be created. Yep, they called this the Triple Alliance, which was made up of Germany, Italy, and Austria-Hungary. The name Otto von Bismarck is uh, the guy who wanted to keep peace in Europe and he wanted to restore Germany's power and he saw France as a potential threat to that so he created this alliance that was called the Triple Alliance. Kaiser Wilhelm II took charge in Germany and was eager to show his military strength but history with Russia slide and made this triple into with Great Britain, France, and Russia, and settled they needed help. Very interesting. Speaking of tension between neighbor neighboring countries, would be interesting on filling in on the Balkan powdered cake. Now, wasn't the uh, wasn't there an attempt an attempt of Germany to form an alien alliance with <laughs> neighboring countries of Mexico? Yep, the Balkan powder K uh, happened in the early 20th century. The World War One and preceded it. There was movements to create bigger nations and led conflicts between independent nations and the Ottoman Empire. These differences between the Balkan nations who wished to gain territory, gain territory, is what led this to happen. German Secretary of War Arthur Zimmerman. Wrote on February 1917 to Mexico, saying that Germany would help ally and recon- reconquer land that it had lost to the U.S. if they would ally itself with the Germ Germany. For the remainder of the war, on April 2nd, 1917, the U.S. En- entered World War One on the side of the Allied powers. Now, I've heard this term be been be thrown around while. Talking about World War One, and I am completely unfamiliar with it. The ship, the ship plan. Uh, it was an operational plan for the design attack on France once uh, Russia began to mobilize their forces near the German border. The execution of the plan led to Britain declaring war on Germany. I understand. I also wanted to talk about the lesser talked about battle on the Eastern Front, more precisely where the battle was taking place and who was fighting. All right. Well, the Western Front took much of the attention, but in the Eastern Front, there were 
thousands of men fighting on the battleground of the German and Russian Russian war. This front saw Russians and Serbians battling the Germans and Austria-Hungarians, and this battle spawned over on the Western Front. The Battle of Tannenberg happened when Rus- Russian forces launched an attack on Austria-Hungary, and later Germany launched a counterattack in the town of Tannenberg. And during this four-day battle, Germany crushed Russia, making them retreat, killing 30,000 Russian soldiers. They were almost to the point of exiting the war because they were not as industrialized as the rest of Europe because they were constantly running short of food, guns, clothing, ammo, and blankets. The Germans had control of the Baltic Sea, meaning Allied supplies really made it to Russia, and the only advantage they had was their massive population that could contribute to their large army. So they just kept feeding and feeding more people. I see. Now, as we speak about fighting in foreign countries and countries being on foreign soil in World War One, and now we hear about the Galicia campaign. Can you explain what that is a little bit? It was where Allied forces began repeatedly attacking an area of the Ottoman Empire known as the Dardanelles in hopes to capture Constantinople. And began sending supplies to Russia. The thing, the thing that seems to baffle me the, the most with the First World War is the battle style, the trench, the trench warfare. Um, well, the warfare—it was pretty much warfare in which opposing forces attack, counterattack, and defend from enemies in systems of trenches dug in the ground. It was very dirty in the trenches and was not the safest. And many soldiers had many roles they had to do, like sewing sandbags, cleaning, or repairing their trenches. A、uh, total war called the entire nation into action, rather than just military. Military forces and resources like ships, trains, or vehicles were commanded for military purposes and chief to、uh, conscription that involved the government's economies and. Populations of participating nations to an extent, extent never seen before in history. This was distinct from how many wars have been previously been fought. Now, wow! So, what of what of death tolls were you seeing with these all with these all these battles, baffling style of fighting? What kind of death tolls are we looking at for these countries in World War One? Well, I can give you a percentage of the mobilized World War One forces that became casualties, and for the Allied forces, the U.S. had eight percent, Greece lost twelve percent, Portugal lost thirty-three percent, Belgium lost thirty-five percent, British Empire lost thirty-six, Italy lost thirty-nine percent, Serbia forty-seven, Romania seventy-one percent, France seventy-three, Russia seventy-six. That was just the Allied forces. Then the Central Powers lost many troops too. Bulgaria lost 22 percent. The Ottoman Empire lost 34. Germany lost 65, and Austria-Hungary lost 90 percent of their troops. Wow, we. So after all these bloodsheds, do we see some kind of arrangement being met? What are some terms where we see coming out after the end of war of this war? Woodrow Wilson's fourteen points were huge after the war.、Uh, the first four points outlined 
an end to secret treaties, freedom of seas, free trade, and a limit to the size of armies. The fifth point was a decrease of colonialization with protection from colonial people. Six through thirteen points outline ideas for creating new borders and nations. Fourteen point created the League of Nations. The Treaty of Versailles aimed to compromise all the nations' wishes and adopted fourteen point. And this heavenly punished Germany by stripping them of 13% of their territory and a tenth of its population. The army was lowered to 100,000 men and was forbidden to draft soldiers. Weapons were confiscated. The navy was stripped of large vessels. Wilhelm II was forced to be put on trial for war crimes and required Germany pay 269 billion gold marks, equivalent to 37 billion. This treaty created a false peace on Europe, pinning all the blame on Germany, sending them into economic turmoil as a whole country, as a whole country, and left it in a state of desperate German population that was in search of any leader that could take them out of their current situation. Wow! Thank you. Very interesting. I learned a lot. That was a lot of information. Thank you. That was our first guest speaker, Colin Pierce. Let's go, Pierce here, my co-host. What do you think about that? I know I thought it was very interesting, actually. Uh, I, I feel uh, he answered my questions very well. Yeah, I, I agree. Hello. So we'll get into this. Oh, we'll introduce our, our second guest speaker here. This is Mr. Ethan Hoffman, an oh. expert. <laughs> Hello there, an expert on World War II. So we'll I'll just get right into it. As we get into World War II, let's let's contrast the battle strategies. What do we see going on differently compared to World War One's trench warfare? Well, the trench war was slow moving. The lightning war or Hitler's blitzkrieg was much faster paced. It involved using airstrikes, fast tanks, artillery shells, followed by soldiers sped in by trucks to take enemies by surprise and quickly overwhelm. Wow. See. And if I'm not mistaken, Britain was a big ally in the fight. While we famously had Franklin Roosevelt in office, who was leading the uh, That would be Winston Churchill. He was the new Prime Minister of Great Britain. With the fall of France, they were all alone against the Germans. He was said to have put the English language in the battle. He used speeches to to rally Allied troops and countries by using words of defiance and heroism. He shaped the Allied war strategy as well. Well, I'm aware the U.S. used um, U.S. plans to stay neutral in the war. What exactly was the turning point that convinced the nation to join the war effort? Well, I think we all remember. On December 7, 1941, Pearl Harbor was a turning point for the U.S.A. as Japanese forces sank 19 ships, including eight battleships. 2,300 Americans were killed and over 1,100 wounded. President Roosevelt addressed Congress and was quickly accepted by his request of a declaration of war on Japan. A few days later, Germany declared war on the U.S. as well. Now, from that we see America fully in the fight, uh, who do we see landing each other's sides of the actual battle? Two main generals were Douglas MacArthur and Eisenhower. 
Douglas MacArthur was a general for the Allied land forces. He led U.S. troops in a battle to rid Japanese forces of Pacific Islands. Led the battle on Guacanal, which was later named Death Island. After six months of fighting, Japanese retreated. There was 24,000 troops. General Eisenhower was a general in World War II and was the leader of D-Day. He was also selected president in 1952. And after, oh, and unfortunately, one of the first things you think of when speaking about World War II, the terrible discrimination and treatment of Jews. Can you give us some information on the topic? Well, Germans considered themselves the master race wanted to rid the world of inferior people, such as the Jews. Hitler passed laws forbidding some Jews like marriage and ability to get some jobs. Ghettos were created after Hitler grew tired of waiting. Germans hoped that the Jews would die of starvation and disease. The final solution was an act of genocide, a systematic murder of an entire species of Jewish people. Over six million Jews were killed in gas chambers and even executed. That is quite a bit of Jews. Now let's get into a famous battle I'm familiar with, but don't know quite what we'd like to know more about.、Uh, what you know about the Battle of Stalingrad? Well, it began on August 23, 1942. A German army of 33,000 or 3,300,000 attacked the city of Stalingrad. The Russians. Had lost over one million soldiers, but once the winter set in, the Russians were on the offensive and forced their remaining ninety thousand German soldiers to retreat. The city was ninety-nine percent destroyed, but the Germans were on the defensive, headed westward. Wow! How the turntables! Oh, pivoting back, the attack on Pearl Harbor.、Uh, the U.S. Actually, is seen gaining some traction in the Pacific. Is that right? Yes. A lieutenant colonel named Doolittle led a squadron of 16 B-25 bombers on a bombing mission in Tokyo and other major cities. This was revenge for Pearl Harbor. Many of these men did not survive as all of the bombers ran out of fuel, trying to escape China. Another major battle was the Battle of Midway. It was the first key victory for the U.S. U.S. codebreakers intercepted Japanese intel and trapped the Japanese and took out all of their aircraft carriers. Serves them right. As a Filipino, I take this kind of personally when the Japanese did in the Pacific.、Uh, speaking of justice served, let's talk about America dropping the first atomic bomb. Well, America dropped the, the world's first atomic bomb in the city of Hiroshima. It killed over eighty thousand on impact and thousand, thousands later. Ah, now as we, as I understand, the war somewhat came to a halt after we dropped those bombs. Now, what do we see? What do we see happen as a result of the end of the war? Well. So, what do we see in、uh, post-war politics here after the dropping of the atomic bombs? Once the Germans were losing, 
Hitler committed suicide. And then the Nuremberg trials were held, and 22 German soldiers were charged with waging a war of aggression and crimes of humanity and the murder of 11 million people. Wow. Wow. They were all executed. The defeat in World War II left Japan in ruins. In ruins, two million lives had been lost and major cities destroyed. The Allies had stripped Japan of its empire. That is good. That is very good. Thank you. I would like to thank uh, my co-host here, Owen Peters. Best speakers here. Owen Peters of the relation. Keep it off. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for having. Me. Like I learned a lot about World War One. How do you feel the same about World War Two? I feel like we gained some knowledge. Here. Listening to you, you gained something. Learned something today. Now, fellas, we hope you feel free to take some of the bourbon under the counter. We got a bottle for each of you. Better enjoy that. And you guys all just go through your day. Heck, try, try, try learning two things today. Go, go crazy. Thank you.